David, I've had a dream that we've done this all before. <laughs> we've had a we we you and I have sat right next to each oh, other, man, and had a debate reaction show just like this. What was going on with the whole Chuck Todd, Rachel Maddow thing tonight? I don't know, but I I, I can tell that they're they're great buddies. They, yeah, totally sincerely, right? They have effectively they've effectively campaigned uh, and made me believe in their friendship. Yeah, they they feel like running mates at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where they kind of stare, and I and I'm so proud to introduce <laughs> my my good friend and a tireless ally of the people, Chuck Todd. <laughs> <laughs> they both have a lot to gain from the endorsement of the other. Let's get this going. We are the cable news buddy cop movie of media podcasts. This is the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Woo! Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer here with your Insta reactions to night two of the Democratic debates, which ended just moments ago. And David, there is no place we can start other than the moment of the night. Senator Kamala Harris of California confronts the former Vice President Joe Biden on his record on race. Let's listen to Harris. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you. When you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So let's talk about why that moment was so powerful, David. I thought Kamala Harris did a a really effective job all night of putting emotion into her points. Yeah. Almost everything she said there, you could hear the pain in her voice. She didn't just put emotion into it. She put herself into the point. And, you know, it was it was not only an effective point scoring debate uh, moment of the evening, but it was an intensely personal one. Didn't you think so? Yeah, I thought she had a standout night. Um, you know, we'll go candidate by candidate in a little, in, in a little bit. But um, I think it'd be hard to to put anybody ahead of her as far as having won the night. And and I think that, you know, the, the, there are substantive issues where uh, someone or a candidate in her record that she will have to address. And she really didn't tonight. I thought that she, she was an incredibly effective uh, speaker and incredibly effective advocate for herself and for her platform. Um, and because of the format or because of the kind of her unexpected emergence, no one on stage was even remotely equipped to kind of clap back at her. Yeah, but, you know, I I think even before we get to that, it's no one seemed to be really ready to clap back at Joe Biden. Yeah. Who we've talked about has has had two weeks of moments, whether it's on the Hyde Amendment, whether it's on these comments he made about segregation as Democratic senators that no nobody. Now, maybe Harris took it off the table, but there was not a not a line to get to Biden on that issue, which was kind of surprising to me. I mean, we, I think we went into this debate thinking Joe Biden is the front runner. Uh-huh. 
people are going to take shots Mm -hmm. and he has (laughs) drawn up the game plan over the last week or two in terms of how they're supposed to do it. Sure. Uh, But she was the one who stepped up and did it tonight and of course was the most effective messenger. I think that you're right that she took it off the table. And I I also think that there is an element, I mean, there there were a lot of people on stage who were introducing themselves to the country and we've talked about that mm-hmm. you know we talked Hi, about that I'm last running night for president so so i think that they're more interested in their own presentation than anything with joe biden and i also think for some there was probably a political calculation that joe biden was was doing himself in he was doing more damage to his own campaign than they could do by like staring down a man who was still immensely popular right and just get out of the way just get out of the way and let him just you know he, he cut himself off two or three times tonight i mean it's just his his presentation was uh, I mean, his 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 whole his his entire night was just kind of mind boggling. So Harris hits Biden on his comments about segregation as senator. She makes the busing point intensely personal. Let's mm-hmm. let that clip roll to see how Biden responded. Vice President Biden. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racist. That is not true, number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when, in fact, when, in fact, when, in fact, my city was in flames because of the the uh, assassination of Dr. King, number one. Now, number two, as the U.S., as, excuse me, as the uh, a vice president of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But, they, I think that's reasonably effective pairing by Biden. He gets the shot in saying, I wasn't a prosecutor. I was a public defender. Being a prosecutor has been something that has complicated Kamala Harris's yes. message sure. in the Democratic primary so far. But, um, you know, he took a big shot. He seemed at that point to be <laughs> still on his feet in boxing terms. But what do you make of his response? I mean, I think that I think that calling Kamala Harris a cop was, I mean, an, an effective attack attack line. I, I don't know that it really did anything to deflect what she had said. And I, I mean, I think that was it was effective. It was probably the right choice politically for him to respond in kind rather than to just sort of apologize for the misconception, you know, for, for what he had said. Uh, it at least kind of signaled a little bit of vitality on his part, a little bit of, you know, uh, interest in the issue. Is this where I, he gets in trouble for not apologizing? <clears throat> if he had just come out and, and said, I'm sorry. I was I was talking about working with other people. I would never, you know, I would never praise senators because they were segregationists. Yeah. If he had tried to put this issue to bed a week ago, wouldn't this have headed off this attack to some to some extent? I mean, he seems incapable of straightforwardly apologizing but, for anything, which is the point, right? Yeah, this is the downside of the no apology strategy. At least he made an affirmative decision. I mean, and that's that's something. I think that he he got. And this was, I'm sure, a deliberate move on Harris's part. He got trapped in this discussion about busing, which, 
uh, you know, some people will say that he was actually on the right side of the issue at the time. I mean, that's it. But, but the whole point is that this is, uh, you know, this is a getting him trapped in the weeds of, of trying to defend his record on something that happened that long ago is a pretty effective tactic because he can't just say, well, you're wrong about that. He can't say, go to my website and find out why I'm right. He, had, he has to discuss <laughs> this thing that, that it's like she's forcing him to have a boring conversation. And, and, like he's, and he's the one that's coming off same, seeming uh, just out of touch and, and dull. He said, uh, I thought he started off the debate relatively strong. Uh, he was hit with his comment, an- yet another comment he made at that fundraiser about nothing will fundamentally change. Oh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't really held to account. was just able to reel off a whole bunch of red meat about Donald Trump, and then the moderators moved on. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning of the debate, I was reminded of how, what an effective debater he was against Paul Ryan and Sarah Palin. I was just singing the he same thing. He won those debates going away. Yeah. It was really, really effective. And I thought, wow, this is here's a guy who's locked in, who is prepared for tonight, who understands what's going on. Well, as the debate unfolded, a couple of things happened. One, he started fishtailing all over the place verbally. Really bizarre. It sounded like you and I trying to host a podcast. <laughs> just, and part of that was... Re- Weirdly, for for reasons I cannot fathom, respecting the moderator's sixty second rule to the second. It was it was the debate debate version of hold me back when you like start a fight with somebody just because you know your friends are there to pull you <laughs> apart. He was just like asking them to stop him halfway through a discuss halfway through an answer. And not to overdo the boxing analogy, but it just felt like looking to the ref like the round's over, right? Yeah, the rounds. I we can get out. I can go sit on my stool and recover, right? Yeah. I love I love the technique of I have three points I have three things to say about this to kind of say one of them and then just be like now you want me to stop right <laughs> Meanwhile like Kamala Harris and many others but Kamala Harris I think most notably tonight was just bulldozing through all of the you must stop talking now notes from the from, from the moderators right I mean she was just she definitely was and 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 effectively too right I mean she she managed to I think as if as we start weighing you know who who's going to be able to go toe to toe with Trump? I think that I, I'm not saying that Rachel Maddow is or, or Chuck Todd is a stand-in for President Trump, but she did seem to effectively kind of have her way with the format. Yeah, that was a tweet from Dave Weigel. He said one reason the Kamala exchange with Biden matters: Dem voters need to be convinced that a woman can face Trump on stage and take him apart. That moment got her a long way. Yeah, the um, Biden did not sound like a candidate who has been through a lifetime of political debates nor a vice no. president who's been through years and years of giant high wattage political debates. No, I mean that that the, the debater from the past two campaign or, the, or the, the two Obama campaigns was I mean you're right, you could see a glint of that in his eye at the beginning, but it was you know by about 20 minutes in that was nowhere to be found. I mean that was a distant memory. And he he I mean there was a there was a tweet that came uh late in the debate from Olivia Nuzzi saying the source close to the Biden campaign says says his staff is quote freaking out about his performance. I think it's safe to say that uh, he did not do anything to help himself and help us and, and, and help his campaign tonight. And I think that, you know, we're going to see a lot of sort of reversion to the mean uh, for a lot of these candidates. And I think that his, his, his boost was a little bit artificial. You know, there's some people that are, there's some people that like we discussed with Cory Booker last night and we're kind of like, why was he not a front runner? Why was he not considered a top tier candidate? And Kamala Harris, who, is often considered has often been considered a top tier candidate, but hasn't always pulled like one or been presented like one through all forms of media. Certainly asserted herself as one tonight. Meanwhile, Biden just sort of he did he didn't feel like he didn't feel like the sure thing. He didn't feel like the given. He didn't feel like Hillary Clinton four years ago. We've been waiting to see 
we, meaning us as journalists, and then I think also all the Democratic candidates, have been waiting to see Biden's vulnerability. First thing we saw tonight was performative vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Oh, he looks like a <laughs> every man can understand. He, lo- <laughs> he looks like a dazed candidate up there. He looks dazed. He looks he looks unsure of himself. He looks he doesn't know what he's doing. So that's performative. Yeah. Now the second part of this, which let's not forget, is every time we have one of these Biden snafus over the over two weeks, political Twitter steps up and says, "Here we go. Here we go. Front runner status is going to crumble. He's gonna he's gonna come back to the pack a little bit." And his poll numbers don't move. So the second part of this, I think, when we talk about Biden suddenly being vulnerable is what's going to happen with the polls over the next week or two? Yeah. Is he really going, is this, you know, are Democratic voters really, is this going to get through? We know his voters tend to be older. We know his constituency tends to probably be people that aren't moved in quite the same way by daily events, or at least they haven't been so far. So will tonight and maybe some of the attacks that come out of tonight really move them it's a great question i think inevitability is a blessing and a curse and i think that if 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 it's if the perception tomorrow morning is that he is no longer inevitable then we'll we can see that we'll see his numbers change a whole lot do we want to run a little bit more of that exchange because harris then held him to account on busing let's listen to harris continuing to roast biden on busing but, but vice president biden do you agree today do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then. Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, I there did was not a failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the second it, class to integrate Berkeley, it, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step now, in. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA. You see what she's doing there. Biden is. Not apologizing again. Mm-hmm. He's trying to parry and say, no, no, no. I wasn't against busing. I was just against federal versus local ordering of busing. And then Harris, debating quite well, says, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Civil rights in this case should be a federal issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am talking about there are moments when the federal government needs to step up and say, yes, you need to bus this, these students to integrate these schools. Yeah. I mean, the expectations obviously should have been in Harris's favor, given that, you know, this is debates have always been a strong one of her strong suits. The, Biden's performance in, in the opposite direction is a little bit shocking, I guess. Um, I do want to point out that not everybody agrees with uh, with our take. Mike Francesa tweeted <laughs> that Biden should have just looked right, looked left and then said, call me when the tryouts are over. Is he in the spin room? <laughs> I have is, no he idea. The, is he in the basement of the spin room? Francesa's sure. had a big day. He has. I did not know he was a Biden surrogate or right. even a Biden fan <laughs> because uh, he's a Trump guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I just think that I, I think that he is a uh, he's a surrogate for, um, you know, white men of a certain demographic. Let's talk about person. Harris's night overall. Uh, a couple of moments for her. One is she was asked about how Democrats were going to pay for all these policies that they've been proposing. And she turned the question around and said, why aren't Republicans asked the same question when they fund a big tax cut. Yeah, I that was a. I thought that was a big moment. She had that real cutting uh, through moment when she talked about, 
you know, you, everybody's arguing. And she, she, she sort of came at that line as like, we, we, we shouldn't be having a food fight. We should be talking about putting food on the table, which was a canned line. But I thought at the moment, yeah, for it, the gender dynamics on stage, and your mileage was, may vary on that. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was effective because early was, in the debate, was. you have all these dudes arguing with each other, and she got through it very, very well. Uh, she tried to personalize everything. She talked, as I said, about you know when she talked about deportation. She says, "What about a rape victim who happens to be an immigrant? I want to make it so that that woman can flag down a police mm-hmm. officer." Uh, she talked about, you know, person when the hospital doors, once they walk through the hospital doors, they have to pay $5,000 in copay, even if they have insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also used the line release children from cages. When I'm president, I'm going to release children from cages to a big cheer from the audience. Yeah. That's an incredibly effective line. It cuts through this, uh, this immigration debate. You know, we, we've been talking about kids and cages and all these things, but to me, that is a, you can imagine that as a stump line. Whoever is the candidate that takes you all the way to November 2020. Mm-hmm. So I, I just thought she just, I thought just thought rhetorically she was very, very impressive tonight. She closed the night with her, with the concept of the 3 a.m. agenda, which as you pointed out was kind of bizarrely evocative of the Hillary Clinton. 2008 Hillary Clinton. Yeah. The 3 a.m. phone call. Um, yeah, that was a strange one. It was a good, I thought that, I think the 3 a.m. agenda is a, is a good idea, but I, I, I think that, 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 you know, connotation that correlation is is gonna be a little bit of a weird one to get over but i think you're right i think overall what we you know again at the expense of being too horse racy or too meta about this i mean harris harris won the night um now we'll now what remains now she i mean starting tomorrow she's going to be treated like a front runner and she's got to be now this good uh, every day, doing every uh, during uh, on every element of the campaign, and not just getting up on stage and arguing with people. I and I, that sounded dismissive, but not just getting it. Not you chance to be better than just a good debater. Her her can her campaign so far has been really interesting. She had that big crowd in Oakland mm-hmm. and big fundraising when she announced, mm-hmm. and then she went through this kind of period where she struggled with some of her answers. Her staff felt that she was trying too much to appease lefty elements in the party. Yeah. She was, I think, the first candidate to officially reboot beating <laughs> beating Beto O'Rourke to the reboot stage by a few days. By the way, if we were if we had cousin Sal on right now, <laughs> I would, you know, I'm taking out my wallet for the Biden reboot story oh, that's yeah. going to emerge over the next 48 hours. Absolutely. Biden, the huddle with advisors. How do we how do we capture Uncle Joe's old magic? How does Biden, you know, promise to to actually prepare for debates instead of going through and winging it? Uh how does he how does he finally you know come up with answers and all that stuff that is that story will be out in 48 hours i just I, everything in my wallet everything in my I, everything in my children's college fund on I that th- story i think you're right on that biden i thought had an interesting night i actually said, thought he started quite well as i said uh when he was talking about obamacare and health care there's a little bit of an argument uh between medicare about medicare for all versus building on obamacare in a much more incremental way mm-hmm. biden who has the more incrementalist approach cited his wife's death. He cited his son's terminal cancer yeah. uh, and really personalized his answer in, in quite well. I thought um, he, the interesting thing about Biden is he hasn't given many interviews in this campaign. Yeah. And a lot of people wrote before this, this is going to be the first time Joe Biden has really pushed on all these issues. As soon as Harris pushed, now he was fishtailing way before that, that whole weird answer about jailing healthcare executives. When he seemed to be trying to talk like Bernie Sanders and couldn't quite get the words out. Uh, But then once Harris pushed him, as we saw, he wasn't really able to answer. And that was the moment of the night. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that um, 
we'll, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right about the Biden reboot. We'll see what happens tomorrow. I mean, I think, I, and I think it's, you know, he, he had the most to lose tonight and lost a good bit of it. Um, say Kamala Harris and, and probably Kirsten Gillibrand had the most to gain and Harris won. Uh, we can talk about Gillibrand if you want. I think, uh, you know, in the way that I described last night, we were talking about Beto O'Rourke, and I said, you know, if, if you were only dimly aware of who Beto O'Rourke was, you probably came away really disappointed last night. I thought Pete Buttigieg in this debate, if uh, by that same criteria, availed himself really well. If you were just aware that there's this kind of Pete Buttigieg phenomenon, then he he kind of was an impressive enough candidate that you, you know, believe in the phenomenon. First of all, he was the first candidate to speak Spanish tonight. <laughs> People in with pools all over America won. <laughs> Buttigieg is speaking Spanish. Uh, I agree. I thought he. I thought he just did Pete Buttigieg things all night. He he wants to be the opportunistic technocrat in yeah. this race, and he was able to play that at various times. I thought he did a good. He he, he had a lot of moments where he sort of dove in. They were talking about paying free college, and he had this answer about. He said, "I wanted." Not only to make it more affordable to, co to go to college, but more affordable not to go to college. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a big, a long, and I thought a very good answer about how can God smile at people putting kids in cages? Once again, yeah. bringing out that imagery. Um, on the police shooting in South Bend, which is, of course, the issue that's been consuming him for the last week plus. Yeah. I thought his answer was pretty good. I mean, I'm sure he rehearsed that to the letter coming in. Mm -hmm. He named the victim. He talked sure. about uh, he talked about being a mayor. He got pushed on a little bit by Eric Swalwell, who demanded he fire his uh, police commissioner. Yeah. Uh, and then the the moderators, they often did, just change to something else rather than make him actually <laughs> answer that question. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought he probably had exactly the debate he wanted to have. Mm -hmm. The thing about Pete Buttigieg is his his momentum was tailing off a little bit even before the shooting in South Bend. And the question with him is he was on an upward trajectory. He got every magazine article he could have possibly wanted. Yeah. So what what's his next act? You know, how do, how does he really enter, you know, how does he really get competitive? How does he pass people like Elizabeth Warren or you know become competitive in the polls? And maybe it's just he waits till Iowa and does pretty well in Iowa. I think him doing well in Iowa is the way forward. Also, running a pretty lean campaign that you know he can just stick around for as long as he he wants to. Um, it remains to be seen, you know, how much the the sort of energy that's been attached to his candidacy will really be reflected in the polls. I just wonder if we're going to look back at Buttigieg and say that whole boomlet was the product of a moment in the campaign where everybody was bored, and by everybody, I mostly mean the media. Yeah, Beto was floundering early in his campaign. That's when Warren was still trying to come back from all the DNA stuff. And there was a vacuum yeah. and somebody had to fill the vacuum well, and it was Mayor Pete. And now the vacuum is now Kamala Harris is a little bit more juice. Castro's got a little bit more juice and everybody's like, eh, no, never mind. But here's the thing. And, and, and part of this is, you know, there was some wild cards on the stage tonight and last night for sure. But the, by virtue of being on the stage at all, you've been legitimized as a candidate. And the way that he... That he conducted, I mean, his present, his overall, his overall performance tonight was legitimizing, and I think, and and I think that sure the the boomlet may be over, but I think he's every bit as legitimate and as you know significant a candidate as anybody else that we're as any other name that we're going to be discussing a week from now. I guess my question is: Is there more to the Buttigieg candidate than the boomlet? <sighs> was the boomlet it, and then it just kind of tails off from here? I don't know. I don't know, and I'm I'm prepared to believe either answer. But I sort of want to see where he goes from here. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, a candidate who had a very similar kind of night, I think, is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Essentially, he was being Bernie Sanders in every possible way tonight. Mm-hmm. It was almost like Bernie Sanders was giving a stump speech that was interrupted at various points by questions and pushback from angry white Coloradans. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, Bern- uh, Bernie's greatest victory in tonight, and, and I, we mentioned this last night, Bernie's greatest victory was setting the terms of the debate. I mean, Ber- Bernie's Bernie's like cuckoo outsider platform from from four years ago was like the mean. I mean, like the median <laughs> debate, the me- the median point of view on the in, in the on the debate stage tonight. It was. Um, and he, he has won in a lot to, of ways to the point that so like you talked about Buddha Judge with the free college. You talk, you know, and, and kind of hedging on free college. Biden was hedging all over the place, but although mostly in a, in a, I think it's more of a defense of his own record and, and, and the Obama legacy to a certain extent. Um, and there are obviously some more, some more moderate voices on the stage that, that didn't agree with, with, uh, you know, the Bernie Sanders platform, but it's gotten to the point where even like having a, a an opinion that's 5% different than the 2016 Bernie Sanders platform is damnable. Right. You know, I mean, it's zero is damning. You know, it's it, it, you're out of contention if you don't fully adhere to. I mean, it's a, you're suspect anyway. Sure. You're, yeah, you're cer- certainly suspect. But I, I think you're right. I think he had a good night. I think he did what he had to do. I think that the question with Sanders is how much of the momentum from four years ago is going to carry over. You know, how much how much of the no one would have called Bernie inevitable, but how much of that sort of that sort of continuity from. The, the energy of, of you know, the Bernie bros and every, I guess that's, that feels dismissive too, but how much of the energy of the, the Bernie uh, brothers and sisters. Yes. The Bernie family carries over and, 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 you know, what, what kind of numbers he's looking at well, in and, the next week or two. And what his viability is in not a race where he is the antidote to Hillary Clinton, but he's got a lot of voices around him including voices that are pretty close to his position, as you point out, in a lot of issues. And he's going to be, and he's going to... It's not Bernie versus Biden. If it were Bernie versus Biden, I think it'd be a really fascinating dynamic. That's not the race. Bernie versus Biden versus Buttigieg versus Harris versus Warren versus everybody else. And also in so much as he's an attractive candidate, I mean, because we can all, you know, we've all spent years now imagining what if he had gone toe-to-toe with Trump in the debates and everything else. I mean, he, we, we do, he is a sort of national candidate, right? I mean, at some point you have to start pointing at which primaries he's going to win. Yeah. And and I think you know, Iowa, New Hampshire. I mean, that's those are his two, you know, if not Iowa, then New Hampshire. And it's got to be New Hampshire. I mean, I, cause I, I mean, I don't think I mean, well, yeah, I think you're right. And if, if he doesn't win Iowa, then what? Yeah. I mean, he, it, it gets the, the it, it gets narrow. The Bernie Biden dynamic, which I think we had probably invested a lot of thought in, at least before this, didn't really emerge very much tonight. Mm-hmm. They started to talk a little bit about a rock. Once again, the moderators moved on. Uh, after Biden tried to claim that he got, after voting for the Iraq war, he helped get soldiers out of Iraq, once again, personalizing it by mentioning his son. Yeah. Bernie tried to come back and say, no, 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 I led the opposition to the Iraq war. Yeah, you got it. You put us there. You put us there, essentially, but that didn't really go very much past that. Uh, how about a couple of candidates that I don't have a lot of notes on? I don't, I just don't have a good sense of how they did. <laughs> this is the notebook dump candidate. Let's go. <laughs> notebook dump. Uh, generic Colorado number one. <laughs> Michael Michael Bennett, Bennett yeah. Uh, he answered the first question by asking, was that directed at me? Almost yeah. like he couldn't imagine they called on him. <laughs> was that directed at me? That sounded like me, which I think was a quit. Was, was, was actually really funny if it was meant to be a joke, but who knows? It was. It reminded me of when I was on my a freshman high school basketball team and I was like the 12th guy on the team. 
And the coach, I didn't play for like 19 games in a row. And then the coach pointed at me like in the middle, at the end of a blowout and go, Curtis, get in. I was like, me? Really? <laughs> that was sort of my, sort of my response. Um, he had a sort of effective, when he was, when he was like, when he was his little, when he was, I'm going to say when he was angry, but he was only like 5% angry. He had a sort of effective delivery. I don't remember anything that he said. He talked about seeing his, when he saw the immigrants at the border, he saw his mom. That was, there was a sort of a, a uh-huh. touching line, but it seemed like every time he was talking, I was like, okay, this guy's, you know, got something to say. And then immediately I forgot what he said. He was talking about, we got to take back the Senate. I wrote down Citizens United. I don't really remember what he said about it other than overturn it. He, um, his candidacy was always mysterious. I'm not sure we solved why are, the question of why are you running for president tonight? Yeah, that's any, an important one. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of which, how about generic Colorado number two? The former governor, John Hickenlooper. Well, we know what John Hickenlooper is running for president. I mean, he's a rich dude who assumes that he's going to win everything that he does. That's the, I'm going over the top there. But he's one of those. He's a he is a, uh, you know, flyover Mike Bloomberg. Right. I mean, he and he's and he's been touted by he's been touted by the sort of um, party technocrats and in the, in the and especially the ones in the media for several for years and years. And now he is he, he, he decided to run for the presidency. And uh you know, it seems like this is not the right cycle for him. And the fact that he wasn't aware of that is about as, is, as you know, damning as anything he's going to say. Yeah. I mean, he and Bennett suffered from this problem where they seem to think that because they're on stage, we absolutely know who they are and we know why they're running for president. I don't know. The, I don't I know neither why they're running for president nor who they are. I really don't. And by the way, I'm not alone. Because when Bennett showed up to the Miami debate hall on Wednesday for the AP, <laughs> a security guard asked if he was there to pick up his media credentials. And Hickenlooper responded. Oh, it was his Hickenlooper. Yeah, Hickenlooper responded, yeah. I'm a candidate. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he was he was almost denied entry, David, because they thought he was a reporter for BuzzFeed. That's that's really what we what we take away here. Uh, according to Dave Hill, uh, Dave, David Hill, who has contributed to the ringer.com. Um, not, not the uh, guy who started Fox Sports. The writer Dave Hill, right? He's uh he uh, the Hickenlooper. This is and this is true, or he insists it's true. Hickenlooper had a red that was easy button from Staples on his desk when he was mayor of Denver, and he would press it at the end of every meeting. <laughs> I wish he brought that to the debate tonight. <laughs> Could you imagine at the end of every answer, just smacking the red, the smacking the that was easy button? <laughs> he had that smile that you could see. He's a guy who thinks another job well done. It reminded me really of a weatherman smile. At the end of a forecast. I don't know why. I just kept thinking of that. Uh, another candidate I didn't really get a great handle on. Maybe you can help me is Kirsten Gillibrand. She talked a lot. Uh, she had a she had a lot of answers tonight. She didn't disappear in the debate. I thought she was no. trying to kind of be opportunistic and jump in on a few things. Yeah. Uh, she jumped in on something about uh, talking about the greed of drug and gun company companies. Like she was trying to correct another candidate. I can't remember who it was. and I didn't actually understand what her distinction was. At all, she really was trying to flash uh, policy wonkery in detail. She mm-hmm. talked a lot about her idea of moving us from our current healthcare system towards single payer. Yeah, and she she got into a lot of detail about how I have this idea, and I've been working with Bernie Sanders. Uh, she said, "I'm speaking directly to women" when she talked about abortion rights. Yeah, uh, seemingly implying that there was a lot of disagreement on stage about abortion rights. In fact, there didn't seem to be much, if any, at it's all. It's a great debate technique. I can't believe we're discussing the right of a woman to have reproductive freedom. But, but we're all agreeing on yeah. it. Yeah, we're all we're, we're all saying we're all saying like 
we're scared because we think the Supreme Court is going to overturn it. Yeah. So that would be like, I can't believe we're all discussing starting another war in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, but we're. Marion Williamson had a lot of those moments tonight. We'll get to her in a second, too. But she had a lot of, I can't believe we're not, nobody's talking about blank. (laughs) We should allow, we should disallow, I can't believe nobody's talking about as a debate tactic. Because, in fact, just a message to the candidates, you're on stage. So if you want to talk about something, if the, unless the moderator is just absolutely heading you off, mm-hmm. uh, just bring it up. I mean, listen, Kirsten Gillibrand is a, I mean, has has a, uh, a great se- a record as a senator. She's, she has been at the forefront of many admirable causes. I'm not quite sure what her, I, I, don't, I don't think as a senator, I mean, the things that she was most vocal about were things that I think most most reasonable people would agree on. And, and, and I think that sort of carried over to her campaign. I'm not sure what's setting her apart. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what her answer would be to, I mean, to why she's running for president. Uh, I don't think she really established that. And, and, you know, every time I want to like her, I want, I, I, I want to, fi- I want to figure out the answer to that myself. I'm not, I just, I haven't, I haven't done it. Yeah. She's another one who's had a, had a, the slew of why is this campaign not going the way a lot of people thought it was going to go. And another one, another one that's been slightly and not to the same extent, but slightly anointed by the media. You know, I mean, she's, she, she has been, she has been in, in the public eye to a degree that probably outstrips her viability for a long time. Is that because she's from New York? She replaced Hillary. Yeah. But, but, it, but someone could have replaced Hillary and been a little bit anonymous. I mean, she, she certainly stepped straight into that spotlight. And like, also, at, no, and, don't, and it, let's not forget Al Franken too, which is a big part of her CV. And it's a big part of the reason a lot of Democrats were, Skeptical of her certainly, candidacy. The, certainly, the most divisive thing she's—I mean, you know—that she's done on a, on a on a national stage uh, by you know fully decrying him and and insisting that he stepped down. Um, and 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 it was—it's evidence that that she's you know committed to the the you know cause of women's rights and the Me Too movement. And and I and I think that's really admirable. Uh, but but it, but it didn't there there it didn't score points in a lot of corners. What'd you make of Andrew Yang? Candidate who was intriguing to a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. if we're talking about the kind of single-digit polling was in higher single digits than a lot of a couple of United States senators, at least. Yeah, certainly than Gillibrand, probably than either Colorado. What do you uh, what do you make of him? Tonight? Well, he certainly got his own lane, right? I mean, that makes it a little bit easier to get to the the universal basic income lane, a thousand dollars a month lane. <laughs> yeah, the Joe Rogan lane too. I mean, I know he's not the only candidate who's appeared on Rogan, but he's but he that's that's sort of his lane. He's very popular in, in certain corners of the internet that I sometimes traffic and lurk in just to see what the what's going on in the world. Um, I thought he was I thought he was fine. I thought he was sort of what I expected him to be. You know, I kind of thought he disappeared for long periods. Well, tonight. he literally. I mean, he was he was he he got a couple of questions, but he was just completely absent from. I mean, obviously he didn't he didn't go for any crosstalk or anything like that, but that he wasn't addressed for questions for the vast majority of the debate. Yeah, he he yeah, maybe that was the. I felt like thing. compared to last night, and maybe it was because of the star, because of the wattage of Biden, of Bernie Sanders. Uh, I felt like the the moderators played favorites a little bit more tonight, and maybe and maybe the numbers don't back that up, but it certainly seemed like it really felt like it, it. certainly seemed like the far, the left end of the stage with Williamson, Hickenlooper, and Yang, and even to a certain extent Bennett and Swalwell on the right side were just sort of you know sidelined uh, for a lot of what was going on. I felt like that too, and I don't know if that's because they did things like let that Biden Harris exchange go on mm-hmm. for a couple of rounds. Which is, I guess, technically in violation of the rules. But who, in, who, in God's name, wanted that to end? Yeah, everybody wanted to see that. Uh, but yeah, it did feel like that, and it felt like he was probably the biggest victim. I felt like I heard a lot more from Eric Swalwell. Uh, by the <laughs> way, total honesty, I had not heard Eric Swalwell talk before tonight. <laughs> 
I did not know what Eric Swalwell looked like before tonight. <laughs> I'm pretty I, sure. I'm, I'm happy to admit listen, that. I, I, I believe that I have seen him as a talking head on MSNBC a, a large number of times. I cannot be sure that it was him that I remember. <laughs> it could have been another <laughs> congressman from the California uh, Democratic Caucus. Yeah. Um, he had a couple of interesting moments. First of all, he, he kind of drew blood early on when he talked about uh, citing a 32-year-old Joe Biden answer about passing the torch to a new generation of politicians. I'd just like to say that I predicted this, uh, that, people, that someone would find a way to go after his age. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, that, was a, that was definitely a, a, funny, a funny way to address Joe Biden's... Uh, a funny path to ageism. Yes. Uh, <laughs> funny. He did that. <laughs> the title of my memoir. Biden, yeah. Biden mostly ignored it. He had a line, something he said, something to the effect of, I'm still holding on to the torch. Which is kind of funny. He kept he kept saying "pass the torch." Swalwell came equipped with many a catchphrase. The one that he came back to a couple of times was "pass the torch," which was another sort of like indirect, or maybe le- maybe not indirect, uh, you know, ageist uh, uh, motto. Uh, he he interrupted the first half of the debate. He was he 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 kept trying to interrupt, or a couple of times, and he was kind of uh, he was insistent or persistent, but not always successful at interrupting. Yeah. Um, it was an it was an overall like supremely awkward performance from him. Uh, yeah, though much better than if if we're grading on the Tim Ryan curve. Uh, oh no, he or was... the John, even the John Delaney curve. Yeah, I thought of of random congressmen who are running for president. He uh-huh. was he was the best of those three by far, by far the most competent, by far the most fluid on the stage. Uh, I thought but, it was odd that he gave he, he, when when he was answering a question about gun about gun control like two thirds of the way through the, through the debate. I don't know if it's because it was his only like fully prepared answer, and I don't again it, long answer that he had fully scripted. Uh, but it felt like he was giving his closing statement just because he wasn't sure if he's ever going to be asked a question again. <laughs> uh, probably not a terrible idea. No, and then his and then his his little catchphrase at the end. I mean, I'm breaking up with Russia. <laughs> making up with NATO. He felt a lot like he was running for student body president. When I'm not changing diapers, David, I'm changing Washington. <laughs> and sometimes the diapers smell a lot better. <laughs> this is really, yeah. The whole passing the torch motif feels like you planned out this elaborate thing before the debate and you said, all right, number one, step one, hint at the passing the torch metaphor. <laughs> step two, win the debate. Step three: Return to the passing the torch metaphor. When I'm like, lap- like, no, no, we didn't, we didn't quite, we didn't quite get number two. When we're reading quotes by a candidate, and I'm lapsing into Troy McClure voice for no reason, it probably did not go well <laughs> God, for you tonight. God bless Troy McClure <laughs> because he really, he really predicted about uh, 20 years of American politics. Yeah, that's true. Um, so that was Eric Swalwell, and finally, Marion Williamson, uh, who qualified for the debate narrowly. Uh, she had a very interesting performance that's tonight. That's going to be like, in, that's like the first sentence of the obituary, right? <laughs> Marianne Williamson, who qualified who for the debate. Who once qualified for a Democratic debate. Took her 27 minutes to get her first question. So she was pretty absent at the beginning of the night. Uh, her first answer, I just didn't understand. Her first answer felt like it contained about four or five ideas that were all sort of coming out. And it had the quality of just somebody standing up and just, take, you know, letting loose everything that was on their mind. Yeah, and I just I did not follow the I did not follow it. Then she sort of got back into it. I thought you know had a pretty decent middle of the debate. She ended with her "Love Will Win" bit about yeah. Trump. As I said, she was constantly calling on the rest of the candidates. Why aren't we talking about this? I haven't heard anybody talk about how we're going to beat Trump. Things like that. I'm pretty sure we did cover that at some point amidst the other issues. But yeah. 
Yeah, she had an interesting performance. Interesting that I mean, and and you know, if let's take her seriously. Okay. For someone that I mean, I'm, I'm saying that to myself more so than you. I'm very. I was actually very impressed by the way that you introduced the Marianne Williamson part of the conversation. The uh, to, for someone who's going to be saying, "Why aren't we talking about this important issue? Why aren't we talking about this important issue?" It was sort of odd that when asked what the first thing she would do as it, when she got into office, she said she would call the president of New Zealand and say, "Girlfriend," and I quote, "Girlfriend." <laughs> Uh, I don't actually have the rest of the quote it was, here, you, but it was, you said New Zealand's the best place to live yeah, in the and, world. and it's going to be America. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you're going to do. Yeah. That was maybe not, that was no one else's day one agenda item. No. But uh, that was hers. That was, that was definitely unique. She did a lot to stand out tonight. She might have won Twitter for the evening. I'm not quite sure what that, uh, what yeah, that means. Yeah, I sort of glanced at that. I sort of glanced at this. It was, it was true. But I, I couldn't tell if it was people that were just marveling at yes. her. Yes. No, I think that was it. I and think, I think she's another one. A lot of people having her talk are sort of vaguely aware of oh, her. Oh, no, no, no. There's a lot of commentary on like, you know, on, on the way, on her, her speech patterns. By the way, she has hearing issues. I mean, it has like severe hearing issues that affect the way she speaks. So let's not make jokes about that online yeah, or I anything. Didn't, I didn't. Uh, but yeah, this is a lot. I this is the first time most people heard her talk. And, and, and um, I'd say most people probably saw her full stop. Um, I think it was a tie as far as like Twitter memedom goes. It was Marianne Williamson and and Bernie Sanders standing awkwardly between Biden and Harris arguing were the were the final two in the in the debate meme bracket for the night. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about MSNBC, the performance of the moderators. Uh, we did a lot of show of hands questions, a couple of show of hands questions again tonight. One was about who who says uh, they're government health care plan would cover undocumented immigrants. Every hand went up, uh, at which point Trump declared on Twitter, that's the end of the race, exclamation point. Uh, they tried a lot of a number of those one word answer or give me a very short answer questions again, which sort of got shredded on night one. But Chuck Todd was really into, I just want to go down the line and figure it out. I don't understand how on night two, Chuck Todd was less prepared to deal with the realities of a, of a 10 person debate. It seemed like the entire night he was just like, Senator, please. Like, there's just this, <laughs> this very, very quiet refrain in the background. I'm just like, Congresswoman, could you please stop talking? Okay, I promise we'll come back. Okay, okay, okay. It was very strange. I don't know whether to make fun of him or just, or whether it's, there is no moderator who presented with 10 candidates could have done a good job at getting everybody in line. I don't, I'm not, I'm not defending all the questions. <laughs> But isn't it isn't part of the problem, at least the structure of the debate? I mean, if you if I told you, OK, David, we're going to have 10 ringer NBA analysts no, in a room listen. and they're going to argue with each other and you have to moderate an hour on face on Facebook Live. Like, what would you do? I don't I don't know that I don't know that you the could, answer, even you could carry that. Off. I think that I think I don't think you have to choose between acknowledging that the debate format is difficult and dragging Chuck Todd. I think, <laughs> okay, good. I think it's, no <laughs> false choices in this yeah. debate, in this podcast. Uh, Chuck Todd spoken I, like a true politician. Chuck Todd came. Chuck, Chuck Todd um, was a little bit. It came out with a few fewer. Uh, bad faith questions tonight than he did last night, I believe. I'll have to yeah, review questions the questions. Generally shorter too. Yeah, that, 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 that's definitely true. He, he did talked he, more than a couple of candidates last night. That's yeah, according to the five thirty eight calculations. Uh, yeah, so he, he learned a couple lessons, but I do, but I think to, I mean, to take your question at face value, you know, 
there's a there's a there's a point at which you just have to understand your strength. And if you're and and if you're just going to be ineffectually saying please stop talking while no one listens to you like that what's his name from Office Space with the, with the stapler, <laughs> yeah. then, Steven then, Root. then you just don't talk. You know, <laughs> then you like let like just like elbow Rachel Maddow and let her cut Marianne Williamson off. Do we do have we gotten to the bottom of the whole Chuck Todd Rachel Maddow buddy cop movie? I think it was de- it's definitely shtick. It, after tonight it had to be shtick. It's shtick, but what is what is the shtick? It feels like they're auditioning for for like morning television or something like that. I think it's more. What like, are you doing here? Great to see you again. It's more like a late night election night television when the gag is always, "I can't believe we're still awake at our jobs." Like if you like, it, it, it reminded me a lot of election night on MSNBC. It, every it's like performatively punchy. That's sort of the gag. I'm just making a weird face at you right now because I'm just recalling the shtick and I just don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> it doesn't make any I sense. I don't understand it. They also had another audio snafu tonight. They tried to go to Lester Holt in the audience. Miami, we're going to continue the questioning now with Lester in the audience. We are? We are in a second are going to have a question from Lester in the audience, <laughs> but that was just a fake out. <laughs> Let's go to, we're going to go to the issue of guns. And, uh, That's wild. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't want us to all sound like Phil Mushnick or something like that. But we should probably have the technical issues figured. This is a big moment. It's a big moment in, in American life. What if, should, what if actually there wasn't a snafu tonight and Rachel Maddow was just trying to get somebody fired? That's <laughs> <laughs> the only other solution. A couple of cleanup items from night one of the debate. Alex Seitzwald uh, noted on Google that. Uh, or sorry, excuse me, noted on Twitter that Google search queries were overwhelmingly about the winners and losers of the Democratic debate and about NBC's technical failure. So no, do not believe any person on earth who tells you, I want a substantive debate about the issues. I Uh don't want to know. It's just no, you know, Ritz cracker uh, analysis about winners and losers. They actually do want to know about winners and losers. That was was a big thing. Um, Twitter user Mike Persak actually had the Democratic Debate Royal Rumble concept on Twitter that we also floated. Oh, we really? We did not see that, but somebody brought that up in the- uh, Great minds. Yeah, to the press box uh, Twitter account. So so good job, Mike. Great minds think alike. Uh, can we talk about the ratings for night one of the debate, David? Please. Here's my analysis. The ratings for a Democratic debate will have no effect on your life. That's <laughs> it. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Uh, David Leonhardt, a New York Times writer, also noted, I thought this was good, that when the moderators let candidates interrupt, that almost always privileges the men on stage because they're loudly interrupting. Yeah. And they're loud. Oh, I got, I, can I just can I just answer that? Can I just answer that? Uh-huh. And so you wind up funneling more follow ups to the guys. That was his analysis after night one. I thought it was a little bit better tonight. Again, that's not based on any scientific analysis, but they they uh, they thought that was a little bit better tonight. CNN uh, on Beto last night was pretty pessimistic. Yeah. Pretty much had your. There were there were some people floating. Is this the end of Beto? Is it time for Beto to run for Senate? Uh, what did you make of that? I I, I I I mean, you can go back and listen to what I said last night. I thought I I, I think that he looked like somebody who would who would uh, who would accept a defeat before he even got on stage. We also last night uh, predicted correctly that as soon as Castro had a good night in the first mm-hmm. debate, that people would immediately jump to him declaring him a good vice presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jonah Balekis uh, tweeted uh, because at us that Castro says he got a text from Warren after the bait telling him, congratulations, you did a good job. 
So Warren texted him immediately after the debate. And the fact that he said that is an incredible, it's, it's, it's an incredible boost to Warren. Just like, the, you know, yeah. it's like, you wouldn't believe this, but Bill actually texted me that I wrote a good piece today. Like that's the- <laughs> And Jonah, Jonah said it was almost NBA free agent-esque. Like you're just planting, you know, <laughs> planting great. something in the, I still, I still think that's kind of, isn't that kind of insulting? I mean, isn't it insulting when somebody has a good night and say, boy, you'd make a great vice president. I, I, it's it to me. It's even more than subtly insulting, and yet it's a. Why is that okay to? Why is that? Why is that okay I mean, to say on liberal Twitter? We're conditioned to say it. I mean, it's something we've been said. I mean, I I agree with you, but I but I feel like it's just it's it's so part of the vernacular the, the the conceptual vernacular at this point that it's hard to avoid. But I but I agree. Uh, Donald Trump, yes, was finally a subject of conversation. It's finally a subject of conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, I still find it puzzling how he was completely ignored. Or mostly ignored on night one. It was almost like night one. I mean, certainly we had more real candidates, or I don't want to be too general here, but we had more more big name candidates <laughs> tonight. Okay. Um, but it did feel like last night was almost like the walkthrough for tonight, even though this the the candidates were entirely different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they at least addressed Trump a few times in the debate tonight. I sort of think we should have a section here at the end to talk about where we go from here. Uh, what this because a couple things happened. One is there are substantive moments from the debate that will inform the debate, the Democratic primary and the jockeying and all that stuff as it goes forward, fundraising, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that happens, and this is a media podcast, so we've got to say is cable news stations, newspapers will start to decide based on this stuff yeah. how they deploy resources over the next month. Mm-hmm. We've got another debate coming up in about a month. Dave and I will probably be in front of these mics again. Uh, but you know, if you're MSNBC just kind of Castro kind of live in your green room now for the next four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, does Kamala Harris now get the glossy magazine treatment that Buttigieg think, got for a long time? Yes and, and yes. Elizabeth yeah. Warren got about a week ago, sure. right? She had a couple of big magazine pieces. Coming yeah. out. What do you think is happens now? Um, you know, a lot of it will, will be based on the next round of polling, but I think based on tonight, you're going to see, yeah, I mean, a lot more, um, a lot more Kamala Harris. I think Pete Buttigieg, like I said, sort of held serve, and he's still going to be. He, he's all, he's a very available to you know the media and will be there. I think the interesting thing will will kind of be to see how much Joe Biden and and to a, in in a different way Bernie Sanders sort of make themselves available. Joe Biden, I mean, Bernie's we, pretty available. Bernie's available, sure, but I mean, he's, he's Biden a, has been totally unavailable to the press. Totally unavailable, and and now I mean, and what we've seen, I mean, tonight was just evidence. Of, of you know, like you said, there's going to be a reboot. So much of what he did didn't work. Right down to the riffing on the Obama years, it just everything that he, every time he brought up his the, the the his time in the Obama White House, it just felt sort of sad. And I think that they were going to and there should be a non sad way to do that. If you're trying to ward off all these Democrats who are behind you in the polls, surely there is a happy way to wrap your arms and say, I was the vice president of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. So you want to come after me. That's fine. But are you really going to come after the Obama administration? Mm-hmm. And you saw even Harris tonight when she made that point about deportations was doing it very, very carefully. Well, Kamala Harris, for her part, by the way, referred to her. I mean, someone, someone will have counted this, but referred to her career as a prosecutor um, and as heading the, the, just, the California Justice Department. Uh, about 20 times and I don't think ever mentioned her Senate career, which is, I think, a very canny move to sort of, you know, as we've seen a million times, senators and congressmen don't get elected, you know, don't or don't win the presidency. She went back to her, you know, her sort of real world experience. But 
Um, yeah, you have to frame your history in a way that help that behooves your campaign. And Joe Biden is running as a sort of legacy candidate. It's hard to escape that. But, you know, that's a, that's that's not always especially in the modern, you know, in 2019, being a leg- being a lifetime politician is not always an easy place to start from. I was just looking at the uh, the uh, John Chait column that just went up, which is uh, uh, Kamala Harris has jumped into the top tier. So okay. I think to me that to me that's the John Chait that's, is that's that's official hashtag take yeah. after tonight, and then uh, and we'll go from there. But that feels like the big thing. I think Cast I think Castro also will get another look. I think we'll see. I think we'll see lots of pieces on Castro. Get lots of coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, you can imagine. Um, you can also imagine what I read a Jay Kang tweet last night. But you can also imagine a lot of people saying, "Wait, interrogating the question of why were we giving Buttigieg all this attention mm-hmm. when Castro was the mayor of a much much bigger city? Yeah, uh, also was a cabinet official, a much better, much bigger and better resume than Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. And why are we giving? Why didn't we give him attention? Sure. Because again, and it just doesn't it just make you realize how flip of the coin all the attention is at this stage we're so far away yeah i mean i don't want to depress you here but we have a long way to go sure and we even do. before people start voting it for the democrats much less next november when they vote for office and i feel media attention at this point is sort of so arbitrary yeah and everybody wants it it's true it's true but you know it kind of comes in it kind of comes in you know in various places before before we leave, I do I I've said a lot of negative things about Chuck Todd. I want to give him a shout out for effectively quoting Eminem's "Lose Yourself" at one point during the debate tonight. Pretty, <laughs> Did he do that? I'm, I'm pretty sure he was like two words away from saying, "You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow." I'm I'm, I'm fairly certain that somewhere happened. Jason Gallagher is making a video right now <laughs> for, the, for the Ringer. That is it for tonight for us. We are back next week at our regular times. Tuesday and Friday. I had, yeah. to, I had to think about that since we've, <laughs> we've just, we've been waiting for TV and then reacting to TV. We're not going to be here tomorrow night for John Stacks or Stacks. There's like one person debate. Is that- <laughs> yeah. Didn't he, didn't he have like an event with like four people in the room this week in Iowa? Oh man. We're, we're not going to be, we're not going to be able to cover. We did. We can't cover everything. We're only two people. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Producer is Jim Cunningham, who is tirelessly working, tirelessly working, excuse me, to get this podcast up. Research by Chris Almeida. Back next week with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, man. That was fun. David? you'd make a great vice president. Yeah. That was easy.